E-commerce isn't just an aspect of growing a successful wine business, it is crucial. And that's why I strongly recommend working with Offset Partners. As a proudly independent e-commerce technology and brand design company based in wine country, Offset understands the operational nuances and the customer service imperatives that distinguish a great online buying experience from a mediocre one. And that's why leading and legendary brands like Saxum, Arnott Roberts, and Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant choose Offset's proprietary commerce technology platform to power their DTC sales. If you're an allocated winery or a high-touch merchant that values an elegant, effective commerce solution for both you, your customers, and your team, reach out to the smart team at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com, to craft a better direct-to-consumer experience. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. As more wine regions adopt AOC-like systems that control which varieties may be produced in a place, oftentimes grape varieties become so mentally attached to certain regions that it's difficult to think of any other grape variety existing there. Rules tend to narrow rather than expand allowable grape varieties, and this further focuses the association of certain areas with certain grapes. This is, of course, great for the varieties that are written into law, and great for marketing, but it's not so great for the varieties that are forgotten or the ones that are billed by the press as less serious wines. Pinot Blanc, for instance, becomes rarer and rarer in Champagne. César is a footnote in Burgundy, and each year there seems to be less and less Elegote in the market. In older wine regions, there's a sort of zeitgeist that this is the way things have always been. But if you look back over the last few centuries, two main events, Phylloxera and the 1956 frost, these two events killed wide swaths of vineyards. And that kind of mass replanting forces people to focus their vineyards based on available replanting material. And many replanted with higher percentages of the grapes that were likely to bring a faster, larger crop so that they'd have less loss. The focusing in on certain grape varieties, you'll find a similar trend in newer wine regions that in attempts to cast their identity, they'll choose a few grapes to become ambassadors of the wine region. You see this with Cabernet Franc and Viognier in Virginia, Riesling in the Finger Lakes, and Pinot Noir in Martinborough and Central Otago. Because of these phenomena, it's usually much easier and more lucrative to grow and make the grapes that regions are currently known for. So it's always interesting when people who could easily plant and sell one thing instead plant something else as a labor of love. Take, for instance, a growing interest in Ribola Jala in California, or Scheurebe enthusiasts in Germany, Bibliochora's Assyrtico patch in Kavala, Greece, a bit of Gewürztraminer in central Otago at Ripon, and James Milton's special trove of Chenin Blanc in Gisborne. Even scratching the surface of a so-called traditional wine region, like Piemonte, you can turn up all sorts of interesting, outside-of-the-box varieties. 
there are the usual suspects like Nebbiolo, Dolcetto, Barbera, and Arnaz. Then there are the less usual suspects like Fresa, Grignolino, and Ruque. And there are also the international varieties like Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. But keep scratching that surface, and you'll find other vignettes and narratives among Piedmontese's oft-told variety paradigm. There's the curious story of the Alborosa grape, once thought to be Nebbiolo crossed with Barbera, but now shown to be Chateau crossed with Barbera. Chateau thrived in south-central France before becoming endangered from phylloxera. A Chateau sample, mistakenly identified as Nebbiolo, was crossed with Barbera in an attempt to blend their traits. And you'll find a few bottlings here and there. The Alboroso grape's existence highlights the mid-century need to find appropriate planting material after phylloxera. And you'll even find Riesling in Piemonte. Its existence there is a philosophic one, a search for a different possible wine voice. And thus Riesling's Piedmonte narrative is not bound up with phylloxera baggage and need-based planting. Instead, it's an exercise in diversity, and one that is endeavored by curious winemakers who love the grape. You'll find examples at Borgogno, at Torre Germano, Castello de Neve, and Vira. Keep listening to hear more from one producer who has helped Riesling find a voice in the Piemonte. One of the first things I learned doing harvest in California is where to buy wine. And that is Bottle Barn. Classic wines, natural wines, cult wines, up-and-coming producers, excellent vintages, hard-to-source bottles, and daily drinkers. Bottle Barn has them all, and Bottle Barn has them all for great prices. Honestly, I, I really don't know how they do it. I've seen pricing from Bottle Barn for some fancy wines that is several hundred dollars less than I would have expected. And I've also seen wines for under 30 bucks that I would have expected to have been significantly more than that. Plus, when I get my wine, it's in perfect condition. That's why I do what all the best winemakers in California do. I shop at Bottle Barn. Try for yourself. Use the promo code VINO15 for 15% off your first order at BottleBarn.com. That's V-I-N-O-1-5 for 15% off your first order at BottleBarn.com. Aldo Vira on the show of the Vara Winery in Barolo. Hello, sir. How are you? Tobini, è una bella giornata di estate e questo dà forza, dà coraggio, dà il senso della maturazione dell'uva. L'uva sta maturando. Bello, una bella giornata. Grazie. I'm fine, thanks. It is a beautiful summer day. The grapes are growing. The, the vineyards are beautiful. There is a sense of strength and, uh, and it's great. Thank you. You were born in Turin. Sono nato a Torino nel 1953. I was born in Turin in 1953. Quando ero bambino i miei genitori mi portavano a trovare il nonno in campagna. When I was a, a kid, my parents would bring me back to the farmland to see my grandparents. 
e senza accorgermene mi sono innamorato della campagna, di questo, di questo mondo bellissimo che è il mondo della coltivazione della vite e della produzione del vino. E senza even noticing, I felt in love for this beautiful world, the world of viticulture and farming vineyards. In those days, school would start very late in the fall, and so I had a, the fortune to be able and participate to harvest works. The school timing was still dictated by nature and farming. And you were at a, a rally where you were discovered by your father and he was upset at you when you were a child. Il 68 arriva, arriva che io ho solo 15 anni e sono i primi anni di liceo, quindi anche l'esuberanza, il confronto, l'incontro con altre culture, con altri modi di pensare, tutto mi attrae, non è la rivoluzione, ma è il desiderio del nuovo, di conoscere qualcosa di nuovo. So when 1968 happens, I'm only 15 years old, I just started my, my high school and everything attracts me. It's not really about the revolution, but it's this sense of change, of something new happening. This, this is what attracts me. Galeotto fu quel giorno in cui passai con lo sciopero della mia, della mia classe del liceo sotto l'ufficio di mio papà che mi vide e venne ad aspettarmi a casa. Quel giorno mio padre venne ad aspettarmi lui a casa, non mia mamma per pranzo. So it was a, a bit of a bloody day when I decided to go with my schoolmates riding into the, the rallies, the protests, and I was caught by my father and he decided to come home and wait for me to come back from school, which of course wasn't school, instead of being my mom to open the door was my father. Però quel giorno, vedendolo dopo ovviamente, vedendolo del senno di poi, mi insegnò una cosa importante, da ogni debacle, da ogni difficoltà nasce qualcosa di nuovo, quindi da quella difficoltà in famiglia nacque l'opportunità per me di venire a lavorare in campagna, di occuparmi di questa piccola azienda che allora era quella dei nonni. Looking in retrospective, many years later, I realized that from every debacle, every, everything that turns wrong, something good can happen and that was the chance for me to come back to the countryside and and start farming here at the, what it was a little family farm. So that was the beginning of my adventure in, in the countryside. That summer my parents were happy because it was away from the city and the troubles, but it was also a way to develop my passion for this job and this life. Finally, when it came time to choose my, my college studies, I, I was free to choose and I chose agrarian studies. It was just gorgeous years. First of all, because it was a, a very small scale and human faculty and we knew everyone and all the professors knew all of their students. It was really beautiful from this point of view. I had the fortune to have some amazing professors. It was also time of transition, generational transition in universities from the old days professors into these new generation of of teachers who were very passionate and motivated. And also it was a beautiful moment in my thesis. It was a research on metalactic fermentation on the white varietals, white wines in Piemonte. And I remember with a bit of emotion that first Fiat 500 blue colored, it was the first model of the Fiat 500. And I drove and cruised all over Piemonte in search for white wines. Here locally, Behind Arnaise, there was a little bit of favorita in this area of Alba, and it was the beginning of the rediscovery of Nascetta. 
So once again, a challenge which was not being able to make a, a thesis on red wines, but the challenge to have to study white wines turned into the opportunity to fall in love for Riesling, which we then planted in 1985. The farm had been founded by your grandfather? Era stata creata da mio nonno, sì, in realtà erano due le fattorie. Una era quella della mamma di mio papà e l'altra era quella del papà di mio papà. In fact, it was two farms. One belonged to my father's mother and the other belonged to my father's father. E quella in cui io inizio a lavorare è quella della nonna, quella della mamma di mio papà. And I started working in my grandmother's farm. Che era una, un'azienda che praticamente è rimasta ferma nel 1926. It was a, a farm that basically stopped or remained stuck into 1926. When my grandmother passed away, the, the farm stayed as it was. There was no evolution into it. So it was just starting from scratches again, really. It was the end of the 60s. That's when the Barolo as a designation was relaunched. It was a moment of relaunching. The Barolo designation, new vineyards been planted, and that's how the farm kicked off again. And your first vintage was 1972? Sì, è stata la prima annata in cui ho vinificato. That was, uh, 1972 was the first vintage when I vinified my own grapes. Dicevo, prima da ogni difficoltà ho imparato che c'è qualche cosa di positivo. 72 è un'annata molto, molto difficile. I was saying before, I had to learn that from every challenge there is something positive. 72 is an extremely difficult vintage. I miei compratori delle UE non facevano difficoltà quell'anno a comprarle. L'UA non era matura. È l'unica annata in cui non si è fatto il barolo. The buyers who, who would buy my grapes had troubles. That was a very challenging vintage. It was the only one when barolo was not allowed to be produced. And they had a hard time figuring how to buy grapes. And I was still fresh of my revolution days. And so I rebelled and said to sell the grapes for so little, I'd rather keep the fruit hanging on the vine. But eventually the respect for nature prevailed and also it was a respect for for the locals. To let the fruit hanging on the vine would have been disrespectful of the old folks of the of the village. And so that sense of of respect and that sense of responsibility prevailed. And so with the with the suggestions of one of my uncles and of some local winemakers, I made my first vintage. I bought a crusher machine and a little pump and with some suggestion and help I made my first wine. The beautiful thing is that we we had many friends and so I sold that wine in bulk in Damigiana to many of them. It was a vinello, it was a lighter wine, maybe eight or nine percent alcohol, but it sold out to friends. All that wine got drunk before the summer, luckily because we had so little alcohol, eight or nine percent, it would have not survived throughout the summer. But there was a very early lesson that to make a good wine, you need good fruit. And so it's from those early days that I started doing green harvest. I can still see in my eyes the the faces of the locals, of my neighbors, the old farmers, who would look at me as if I was crazy because I was throwing away grapes through green harvest. To them, that was an abundancy of fruit on the vine, and I would look at it as something that had to be trimmed down. So what was 73 like for you? 73 è una nata carica di emozioni perché finalmente pigiavo dell'uva buona. Era il primo anno che pigiavo dell'uva buona. 1973 was a vintage full of emotions because 
that year finally was crushing beautiful grapes. La cantina era meglio organizzata. The cellar was better equipped and organized. E mi sembra ancora di rivedere quelle cassette di plastica verdi che avevo allora. Eh? I can still see those uh, early baskets, green plastic baskets that I bought at the time. And I can still see the emotion with which I brought the fruit back to the winery. But 1975 was the really first great emotion, two years later. Especially in Nebbiolo for the Barolo. Every new day of the fermentation I could feel there was something good blossoming, something good coming out of that wine. I feel that 1975 perhaps was the greatest emotion of my life. I had, I had many emotions. Still today, a new vineyard, a new grape, a new wine is a, is a great emotion. But I can still remember how that 1975 vintage would, would change day after day. There were two attitudes in me. On the one hand, the, the scholar, the student who wanted to track the fermentation down with density and working on a scientific way. And on the other hand, it was about the memory of my grandfather who would choose how to rack his wine based on the tasting. It was not through an analysis, but was the, was the taste, the mouthfeel of the wine that would make him determine when to rack it. My grandfather used to taste the juice over during fermentation so so often. And I still remember my grandmother saying, telling him, if you still taste it once more, we won't have enough wine to go through the winter. Because um, that was really my grandfather's pleasure to taste through the evolution. And that's the same pleasure I remember, I recall from 1975, tasting the sweeter juice turning into a more tannic expression and eventually into a more vinous taste into wine, just like the evolution of a person from the childhood into the maturity. And he spoke with you about wine. Ero io che parlavo con lui del vino. I would talk to him about wine. Perché nella sua carattere lui era molto silenzioso. Because in his own character, attitude, he was very silent, a very silent person. Ed eravamo noi che facciamo le domande. And it would be me and us who would ask him questions. E sono stati anni molto belli. Eravamo ancora piccoli per capire, ma quella, la memoria delle cose viste, delle percezioni, non, lo, non la dimenticherò mai più, ecco. It was beautiful years. The, the strength of those emotions is something I will never forget. There are things you can learn by seeing them and others you can learn by listening to. And with my grandfather, I learned by observing him. And what were the holdings at the time? In the 70s, what vineyards did you have at, that, at your disposal? Erano i Fossati e il Brico delle Viole. Fossati e il Brico delle Viole. Originally, you made bottlings of Brolo from both. You made a Fossati and a Brico delle Viole. Esatto. E il Fossati mi ha sempre, è quello che mi ha sempre dato più più emozioni e anche più difficoltà. Il brico delle viole invece mi dà sempre continuità anno dopo anno. Fossati would give uh, stronger emotions but also bigger challenges, whereas brico delle viole had consistency vintage after the other. Il Fossati è una, una zona bellissima, è la parte più, più alta se guardiamo come esposizione dei canubi. Fossati is a, is a beautiful um, exposure. From a certain angle is the higher elevation of Canubi. 
è un, un vigneto un po' difficile perché la terra si muove, ci sono movimenti della terra, scivola. It is a challenging vineyard in slope because there is erosion, the soil moves, keeps moving towards the, the bottom of the valley. Both vineyards belong to the Tortonian era, but in Fossati you would find some veins of sands that belong to the Mycenaean times and that just overcome the hill of Lamora going towards Barolo. Fossati was also the farthest uh, holding of the estate. We would walk from the farm to the vineyard. Breco de Rivioli was closer to home. It's a full south. It's a beautiful, pure Tortonian soil with light-colored azure uh, clays. The consistency is much stronger and the taste is much more defined. And that vineyard, I still remember when we replanted a portion of Prico del Viole. That vineyard was along the street, the road, so it was fenced to protect it against the teeth of grapes. And this goes a long way into describing how much devotion my family had for Brico del Viole. And what is the character of uh, Brico del Viole Barolo in terms of taste? What are the characters that come through year after year? Se penso alla matita. La cosa più semplice che si ha in casa come studenti, una matita di grafite, penso a una matita molto dura, con la punta dura, fine, che quasi incide la carta. Fai compare Brico del Viole to a pencil, I always compare it to the finest graphite that is thin and almost carves into the paper. E, e questa è una sensazione che mi emoziona, mi emoziona sempre, questi tannini molto molto fini, molto, eh, molto fitti, fini e fitti. This is an emotion that touches me always. These tannins are always very fine and tight. Sicuramente nella, nel determinare la caratteristica del, del brico delle viole sono il, ter, il terreno, l'esposizione, l'altitudine, ma anche la sensibilità del vignaiolo che ama la finezza dei vini. It is a mix of the elevation of the vineyard, the soil type, the exposure and also the sensibility of the winner determines Brico de Riviole. That sensibility is it's about those continuous tastings to choose when to rack. There is a beautiful magic moment during the fermentation when the sweetness fades away and you start to perceive the frame of the tannins. Usually this is the moment when sugars completely are transformed into alcohol. But the, that specific moment doesn't always match with the end of the fermentation. The cycle of ripening of the grapes is obviously different every year. The balance between the malic acidity, the tartaric acidity, even the balance between the, the sugars. What your palate can judge is the balance of all these elements. And to me, this is the most beautiful thing. You're in the Vernier zone of Barolo. And if you were to kind of summarize what that zone is like. What is that zone like? La delicatezza. E la stessa delicatezza che noi ritroviamo nel clima di Vergne. It's the finesse. It's the same finesse we find in the microclimate here. E pare che il nome Vergne sia dovuto al latino svernare, che abbia come radice lo svernamento dei, dei latini. It seems that the name Vernia comes from Latin svernare, to spend the winter. E pare che venissero qua i romani perché il clima è molto, molto mite, molto delicato. 
And it seems the Romans would spend their winter here on this hill because of the delicate climate. Anche d'inverno, nonostante l'altitudine, abbiamo sempre delle temperature più miti che non nei fondovalle. In the winter, temperatures are always slightly higher than in, in the valleys. And I feel this is the fundamental character behind our wines. So there will never be wines built or made to impress people, but there are wines meant to pamper. And this is, I feel, the character of the wines of Vergne, the highest hill of Barolo. So did you realize that right away, or did it take you some time to realize that kind of finesse was going to be built into the wines? L'ho scoperto in quell'emozione del 1975, di cui parlavo prima. I found it out in that emotion of 1975 vintage. Sono anni nei quali il giornalismo italiano è, è molto limitato. Those were days, years when the wine journalism was very limited in Italy. Ma due, due punti fondamentali sono Mario Soldati e Luigi Veronelli. But we had two points of reference, Mario Soldati and Luigi Veronelli. It was also the time of my first journeys to France. And it was as if all these elements grew in me the, the confidence that Brico delle Viole had something different. And I think to one of the early travels of Giuseppe, when he went on my, on my behalf to represent the winery, and he came back and he asked me, why can't we make the wine smoother and, and a bit more juicy? And I replied, no, because this is Brico delle Viole. Our work is to find the people who will love this wine. I think I said the, the strongest truth to my son in that moment. Our wines should be our wines. And our work should be to accompany the terroir that we have. We shouldn't try to imitate anything, but we should be ourselves. Il brico delle viole deve essere il brico delle viole. And brico delle viole should be brico delle viole. Semplicemente. So in terms of the plantings when you arrived, was Brica de Viole planted to Lampia or to Rosé clone or? La prima vigna che noi abbiamo fatto, la prima vigna che io ho fatto, eh, gli innesti venivano dalla zonchetta di, di Barolo. The first vineyard I, I planted, the cuttings came from zonchetta in Barolo. E il signor Cabuto Giacomo, che, che, ci, che ci aiutò, eh, dandoci questi, questi, questi innesti aveva una parte di Lampia e una parte era Miche. This gentleman who helped us, Giacomo Cabuto, had partially Lampia biotypes and partially Miche biotypes. Il Roseno, il Roseno perché era già scarso di colore e ci diceva siete troppo alti, non vi conviene. Il Rosé l'ho piantato dopo, completa gli aromi, lo completa, ma la partenza era Lampia. At the time, I didn't plant uh, rosé because being in higher elevation, we feared about the color. So it was a later decision to complement the vineyard with rosé to also complement the aromatics. But also great work we did was on the rootstocks. All of it was 428. It was the hardest to let grow, the hardest to overgraft, but was by far the most quality-driven rootstock. So you mentioned Veronelli, and I feel like he recognized you somewhat early in your career with an award. Ah, quella fu una grossa emozione. 
quello mi pare di viverla ancora oggi quando ricevetti la lettera nella quale mi si annunciava la, il premio there was a great emotion and I, I feel like I can, I can still live it now the letter that announced the award ma non meno grande fu qualche giorno dopo la telefonata di Aldo Conterno not a lesser emotion was the phone call from Aldo Conterno a few days after I received that letter il quale mi chiese se ero proprio io quel, quell'Aldo Vaira premiato da Luigi Veronelli he asked me are you, are you really that Aldo Vaira that I see got an award from Luigi Veronelli e dico ma sì perché ho proprio ricevuto la lettera nella quale mi si annuncia che mi verrà dato il premio a, a pensione e quindi sì sono io penso di essere proprio io and I reply well yeah I, I, I think it's me because I got a letter that announces you know I'll, I'll, I'll get an award in pensione so I think yes it's me that Aldo Vaira and Aldo Conteno replied what do you think what about what if I come and pick you up so Of course, I accepted the offer of a, of a ride and I got ready for the day, a suit and a tie, a, a nice shirt, all dressed up for that special day. But at some point I see Aldo Conterno's car driving into the alley of, of the farm. And I was uh, looking at the, at the window, so I got the door and opened the door to welcome this, uh, this person. And in that moment, I see two extremely long legs getting out of the passenger seat. And that was Bartolo Mascarello. And then a third person, and that's Quinto Chionetti. And that was truly my baptism into the wine world. It was a one-hour trip to Torino. It was actually a full interview to me. They wanted to know who I was, what do I, why did I do, why did I farm vineyards, which were my goals. It was 1986. A few weeks later, we had a terrible hailstorm that destroyed the entire crop. And because of that, it was uh, almost like an instinct to go back to Aldo Conterno and go and see him to ask, um, to ask a word to help me in that moment. This was my relationship with these characters. I always respected them, and uh, in the hardest moment, I had the freedom to go and ask for a suggestion. And this is the Langa. It's a place where deep down in a corner there's always and still a touch of humanity. And this to me is the most beautiful thing. Wine is important, but the people are still the most important. So that lineup of people, Veronelli, Aldo Conterno, Barlo Mascarello, Quinto Chianetti, what were they like as people? Tre persone molto diverse very different people da chiederti anche come facevano a stare assieme you would almost wonder how was it possible they would stick together how could they be friends sicuramente il binomio Aldo Conterno e Quinto Chionetti erano molto più legati for sure Aldo Conterno and Quinto Chionetti were the greatest friends il percorso di entrambi difficile both had uh, challenging lives While Bartolo Mascarello already belonged to the, to the history of Parolo and the nobility of Parolo, Quinto was the farmer of the couple. I think of Bartolo as, as a noble, his way of walking, his way of talking, quite slow. And Aldo Conterno was the guy who had seen the world, had traveled the world. Aldo fought into the Korean War. 
he spoke English, or actually he spoke American. And so what put these people together? They were extremely brilliant minds, each and all of them. Each of them had very smart eyes, and you could guess they would, they would understand each other just by the eyes. Another important thing that comes back to my mind thinking of those days is that at the time, the dolcetto wines made in Dogliani were just as important as the Barolos. The market was primarily a local market for all the three grapes. In the local culture, dolcetto was the everyday wine, and Barolo was the, the Sunday or the holiday wine, the celebration wine. Each wine had a specific time and place. So there was no sense of hierarchy. Uh, there was not a grape being more important than the others. So that was the reality until the 80s. And then suddenly Barolo takes off and becomes more and more known, uh, also internationally, and, and the gap between Dolcetto and Barolo becomes wider. In those days, there are people, winemakers, who think the problem is in the name or perhaps is about the vinification techniques, and they don't realize it's actually a whole world that is changing. It's about changes in, in the society. Part of the dolcetto was sold as fruit to, to local farmers who would then make their home production of wine. I still met, met people that would put some of their money away, money that they got by selling the, the wheat, the, the grains in, in June, and they would put this money away to then buy grapes in September. About Veronelli. He and Soldati, you know, they're not here anymore. So what were they like in person or what was their style? Un gentiluomo, Mario Soldati, con i suoi capelli bianchi, i suoi baffetti curati. Mario Soldati was a gentleman with his um, white hair and, and mustache, very well cared. E con una grande capacità di comunicazione. And an amazing capacity to communicate. Un grande comunicatore di quello che vedeva, di quello che percepiva coi suoi occhi e che comunicava alla gente, Mario Soldati. And Mario Soldati was also a person with an amazing ability to communicate what he would see with his eyes and just pass it on to the people, to the audience. Gino Veronelli, non lo ricordo di averlo visto con la cravatta. Gino Veronelli is a guy I don't remember to have ever seen with a tie. Il filosofo, l'anarchico. He was an anarchist, a philosopher. He was a person who had no doubts about what to choose between the farmer's wine and the industrial wine. It's very famous quote is that the worst farmer's wine is still better than the best industrial wine. Both had amazing curiosity and attention for everything. Both had an ability to communicate. Gino Veronelli, through a friend, makes sure I know he wants to meet me. He hears I was using some barrique, and this was a news to him, and he wanted to meet me. And so he wants to meet me and sends someone to pick me up, and we, we drive to Bergamo, and such strong was his curiosity. So curiosity was really the, the common element between Soldati and Veronelli. I'm not talking of gossip, but obviously the curiosity of someone who's caring for details and wants to understand every single one. With Gino was a beautiful friendship. I, I remember talking to him the last time, just a few days before he, he left. And um, at the time he would communicate through fax. 
I had heard he was he was um, not good, and uh, had just received some truffles, and I had a, a thought that the best thing to help someone who was not feeling good and was maybe sick was to to make him feel just normal and right and send those truffles on to him. And he replied right away with that fax when he brought, I will put two bodyguards at the door of my house. And that was the last uh, correspondence with him. Both of them opened a great route for Italian journalism, wine journalism. Both led the way for the Italian wine journalism. We shouldn't forget in those days the, the beginning of the slow food movement. So it was a beautiful, a beautiful moment that we lived in those days. We, we were so much part of it, we almost didn't realize it was happening. So what were the changes from the 70s moving into the 80s that you saw in the Barolo area that were apparent at the time? I mean, what was happening? Ma io direi i grossi cambiamenti sono a metà degli anni 80. The major changes happened in at the middle of the 80s. Prima ci sono i germi di questi cambiamenti. You can already see the the signs, the the buds of these changes earlier in the 70s. Ma è solamente dalla seconda metà degli anni 80 che c'è questa esplosione dei giovani. But it's only around the, the second half of the 80s that there is an explosion of a new generation. E qua in Langa io adesso non ricordo il momento esatto, ma credo che fu la grande degustazione che si fece a casa di Domenico Clerico, che era è stato il momento della percezione di questo cambiamento. And I think the moment when this change became evident was a, a big tasting organized at Domenico Clerico's house. Prima abbiamo le, le aziende storiche. Before the moment is only about historical names, historical wineries. E nelle aziende storiche ci mettiamo, ci mettiamo i Conterno, ci mettiamo i, i Colla, la, l'azienda Brunotto, ci mettiamo i Mascarello, i Barale. You can name these as the historical houses. Ecco, dico questi, questi nomi. Alla Morra abbiamo solamente Marcarini. Marcarini in La Morra. Dalla seconda metà degli anni Ottanta invece c'è questa nuova generazione in tutti i paesi c'è qualcuno di giovani from the, the mid of the 80s there is a new generation in every in every village of the Barolo area probabilmente sono anche i frutti di questa rivoluzione degli anni del 68 degli anni 70 anche qua perhaps these are also the fruits the results of the 1968 revolution there is a young generation there is a moment of challenge that peaks at, in 1986 with the with the hailstorm and there is this big event organized at Clericos with Boerzio, Sandrone that stops working for Marchesi Barolo and starts making his own wines. Elio Altare that abandons a career in the bank to go back to the family vineyards. I'm sure I'm forgetting many names, but it's a moment of something new, burning. And this is changing not just in the Lange, but all across Italy, Brunello, in the Chianti area. So Gino Veronelli is like the, the catalyzer that brings together people. I'm thinking of the Pieropan, the Gravner, from various regions. It's this new generation that is starting something different. So it was a common beginning, but then with many different journeys. And everyone in, has a different interpretation or view of that first beginning and of 
of wine. And I think when we start comparing Nebbiolo, when we start tasting the great wines of the world, from Bordeaux, from California, and, and Nebbiolo is, is more delicate wine. And those days, Burgundy wines are harder to find, so there is, they come later on. And some of my colleagues almost have a, a complex for these wines. Someone even thinks of Ansepagement, like co-planting different varietals to bring extra color and volume to Nebbiolo. It's the beginning of groups, people gathering groups. One of these is the what we call Barolo Boys. But our wines were different and I wanted to preserve the identity of, of them and the identity of Brico de Viole. So around the early 90s, our rods split up. But this is part of the beauty of the regions and of the designations. It's about the diverse identities of each one of us. Those are also the days when I, when I stopped using barriques and I moved back to large casks for my Barolo. And for some years, it's, it's a challenge because the finesse of these wines I was making with large casks is almost misunderstood. Today, the journeys, the roads have realigned again. There is much more equity than what it used to be in the 80s and 90s. Sometimes I fear it's because we all grew older and perhaps we're all less rebellious and risk takers than what we used to. But no, eventually I say no. It's, it's as if there was a wave that passed through and stretched things and now it's gone and everyone is back observing and enjoying the authenticity of our own grapes. But I've had that 85 Brico de Viole from you and it doesn't seem so different than Brico Viole from you today. Like it didn't seem to me like I was tasting something that was heavily influenced by modernism at that moment. It was a warmer year too. So what was happening in the cantina in the 80s for you? Was it a little bit shorter maceration or? Difficile. Difficile perché purtroppo io le vedo sempre con l'occhio e con il pensiero a quell'annata, a quella fatica, a quella alle difficoltà di quel momento, alle gioie di quel momento. Le vedo come un papà più che come un osservatore esterno. To me it is difficult to judge because I always go back to those vintages with the specific memories of what happened good, what were the challenges. So my eyes are more father's eyes rather than on an observer eyes. Quindi le vedo sotto un certo punto di vista con un occhio troppo pietoso e con l'altro con l'altro occhio li vedo in modo troppo impietoso. Somehow I'm too partial both for a good sense and a bad sense to the wines. Con l'occhio pietoso e, e di pensare magari quell'anno le difficoltà che avevo avuto. Too much empathy on the one hand, thinking of the challenges of the vintage and with too much criticism when I discover some something could be better. At the time of my college studies, I also had the chance to approach organic farming. At the time, we called it ecologia. It was not about biologia or coltivazione biologica, let alone biodynamics was not a theme in those days, but it was a chance for me to approach these topics. So there was always a piece of me about being hands-off and protecting the vineyards in a gentle way. So when I when I think of the things that I would have changed was perhaps that that approach to be and so maybe when when I taste some old vintages I think oh well 
I could have bottled this one some weeks earlier or or perhaps be more patient and let it age one further year in cask. But what I see as beautiful is to see the different ages of the vines, of the vineyards throughout the wines. It is so important to have all vines, all vineyards. And if you have never seen a vineyard, you cannot understand what, what I'm talking about. But the life of a vine is so similar to the life of a man. When you plant a new vineyard, you, you need to pamper it, you need to be there around the clock and all the cares to make sure everything goes smooth and, and to raise it. Usually the first year when you can harvest some fruit is the third from the planting. That is like when your baby screams for the first time. It's diverse, it's different from anything that will happen next. Many years ago, I read a book from Lenz Moser, an Austrian producer, and he described that the wine of the third year of the plant should always kept aside and be bottled for the newborn. And then there is the teenage of the vineyard. The, the vine is exuberant, is full of energies, produces a lot of vigor. And then if you're careful, you realize one year, the, the vigor is slightly reduced. But that's exactly when the real quality of the vineyard starts to be expressed through the fruit. You see that through the diameter of the berries that get smaller every year. And when I compare a current release versus an older release, what I taste is these berries getting smaller and smaller as the vineyards get older. What are some of those vintages that when you think back have been either challenging or rewarding? You mentioned 75, but what have some of the others been? Penso 75, 95. 95. Una nata dove è arrivata la grandine. A vintage with hailstorms. Eravamo già avanti nella stagione. It was late in the season. Eppure siamo riusciti a fare qualcosa di buono. And yet we were able to produce something beautiful. Penso al 2005. Una nata dove l'uva non era mai abbastanza matura. 2005 was a vintage when fruit was never ripe enough. Dove assaggiavamo l'uva e sentivi ancora questo gusto verde. Every time we would be in the vineyards and taste the grapes, still you could feel some green character. E, e nonostante le previsioni non così belle, abbiamo rischiato fino all'ultimo, abbiamo aspettato a raccogliere. And so even if the weather forecasts were challenging, we decided to take the risk and wait till the very last minute before picking. We lost about 10,000 kilos of fruit that year because we waited so long that we lost some fruit due to the rains and after the rain the, the fruit was nothing of value. But waiting so, so late, the fruit we picked right before the rain gave some marvelous wines. I'm really good. There's some good 05 from Vara, I think, in my opinion. Good year for you. Per noi abbiamo dovuto giocare come a poker. Come <laughs> to us it was like playing poker. Yeah. Non avevamo delle carte ma abbiamo aspettato. We had to wait. I mean, that's my favorite Albe, actually, is the 05 today. Oh, well, the 10, the 10 and the 5. E nel, du- nel 2005 c'è anche un po' di brico delle viole che ci è scivolato dentro. In 05, some, some brico delle viole fruit slide into Albe. Oh, yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> Abbiamo preferito far felice la gente piuttosto che il nostro business. We prefer to make some more people happy instead of compromising brico delle viole. E quindi ogni annata ci, ci trovo qualcosa di bello, ecco, non, non riesco 
anche il 2002 che è stata un'annata difficile. Even 2002 was a, was a challenging vintage. Oppure il 2003 con quella canicola che c'era, quel caldo che c'era. Or 2003 with the heat waves. So perhaps this is it. Is when I taste our wines is about tasting the vineyards that get older every year and the experience and professionality that increase every year. But I have to confess to you, sometimes I would just go back and start all over again from Some zero. Some days I would, I would be open to lose all of my experience for the sake of starting all over again. And perhaps this is the trick with age. But I'm also happy that our children work with us and that there is a, a passage of experience and knowledge. And I feel this is the, the fortune at Vaira today that the experience can be passed along. With my grandfather, I was too young. He, he didn't teach me because I was too young, I couldn't take it. And my father couldn't teach me because he was doing a different job. And then it's a beautiful moment because we were, were able to share our experiences. One thing I was curious about was the use of chestnut and whether that is something that you have used in the past and maybe now again. No, al castagno non si torna. No, we don't go back to chestnut. Ma ci sono stati degli anni nei quali abbiamo usato delle botti di castagno, è vero? But there were years when we used some chestnut casks. Perché, perché allora la botte di castagno costava molto di meno che una botte di, di rovere. At the time it was much cheaper than an oak barrel. C'erano dei castagni che oggi non ci sono più. There was an abundance of chestnut trees that you won't find today. It was a local, a local tree from this county, from this place. And I wanted to try it. But also it was about the price. I don't know if it was a lack of experience on my end, but I was never able to obtain interesting wines out of those chestnut casks. The wines turned to be a little dry. An old cooper told me I should have used wax inside the casks. Wax would have allowed for a slower exchange between the, the staves and the wine. But I wouldn't go back to, to that. I even tried the cherry tree, cashew. Perhaps I would think again to cashew. On the other hand, there are woods that just are not right for wine. The use of different species was really more driven by an economical factor than anything else. It was about using local woods or woods you would have within your own estate. That was the reason. Today I would have no doubt oak is it. So you began your career with fruit only from Vernier and Barolo and then in 2005 you started working with fruit from Seralunga. And when that happened, when you started working with fruit from a whole other zone of the Barolo area, what was that like for you? I mean, what was the learning process like for you and what was the experiential process like for you? Prima ho detto una cosa importante, i fossati erano lontani rispetto al bricco delle viole. È cambiata anche la, la mobilità nelle nostre vigne. Non ci si muoveva da Barolo per avere la vigna fino a Seralunga. Oggi con i trattori, con le automobili, con i camion, è tutto più facile. When I was referring to Fossati, that used to be the, the farthest vineyard from the estate. 
So mobility is certainly a factor that, that has changed over these 40 years in Piemonte. Back in the days, you wouldn't go from Brolo all the way to Serralunga. Il, la mia affezione a Serralunga però nasce, nasce in tempi molto, molto lontani. My affection to Serralunga though starts from very much back in the days. Quando ho iniziato mio papà pensò di affiancarmi un vecchio contadino che lui conosceva e che era un grande potatore per insegnarmi la potatura. When I started my father suggested I should get in touch with an old farmer of the region that used to be to have a fame as one of the best guys to prune vineyards so that I could learn pruning. Era Gepin Boasso, il papà di, di Franco Boasso. His name was Gepin Boasso, father to Franco Boasso. And I'm always grateful to him. But of course, Gepin was a, such a strong partisan to his own home place, Saralunga. And when I tasted his wines, I was always impressed by the, the schietezza's the frank attitude of these wines, similar to Brico del Viole, but with different flavors and different tones. As if it was the same instrument, but the first and the last string of a violin. And I asked him many times, Gepin, help me find and purchase a vineyard in Serralunga. And he told me many times, when I'll find it, when that good vineyard will be available, I'll tell you. But time went by, and he, would, he wouldn't tell me anything. So I found at least three different blocks, but never found the bravery to purchase them without first asking him an opinion. And every time he would point out some feature that wasn't working with that vineyard. And when I realized it was only Gabuti was the good vineyard because that was his vineyard, the prices had skyrocketed and it was hard to find good land in Saralunga. But I can tell this story with, with much freedom in my heart. So there was the affinity I found for Saralunga was like the first and the last strings of the same instrument. And eventually, uh, a few years after 2005, around 2008, meeting Luigi and Ferina gave us the chance to work with the land of Saralunga. This is also a beautiful story of people and trust. For them to have us take over their vineyards was not an, an easy choice. It was an important call to make. It was such an important decision for them that even before he reached out to us, he came to visit us almost anonymously, almost without being announced, just to check out who we were, how we worked, how we would treat our vineyards and wines. And then when he realized that his vineyards would end up in, um, in good, honest hands that would treat, treat them just like he did, then he felt free to move on and um, to step on and, and come and, and ask us. And there are there is plenty of these episodes in my life. Another time was three thousand square meters of vineyard in Brico de Viole, the old owner. And the owner was called Serafina and he came to me and said, Look, the other guy would, would offer more money, but I like you better, I want you to have it. And these are the beautiful things in life. Realizing that a farmer doesn't evaluate his land just by the money, but also by the affection he has for it and the and the love that someone else can bring to that land this is something that hurts me today uh, when i see people are treating vineyards as as an investment i understand it's possible i understand you can treat vineyards like an investment just like gold or houses but i would like to tell to these people get close with your hearts first 
there's going to be years when your vineyard can offer you a lot back. There, there's going to be years when your vineyard will ask you a lot of patience. When the hail will come. When the fruit will be beautiful till the day before picking and then the rain suddenly comes. And I still think to that 10,000 kilos of fruit we lost in 2005. Those are the days when you got to love your vineyard. That those days, the vineyard you'll discover is not an investment. It's something you have to love. Penso ai nostri colleghi della Borgogna, questi ultimi 3-4 anni di difficoltà, di, di clima che non quadra, di, di grandine, di gelo. I'm thinking to our colleagues up in Burgundy, these past few vintages of hills and awkward weather and... E domani potrebbe essere di nuovo un ciclo negativo di clima anche per, le, per, le, per il Barolo. Who knows tomorrow it might be a challenging cycle for Barolo again. E allora bisogna continuare ad amare le vigne, a coltivarle con la stessa generosità con la quale facciamo oggi. And we will have to continue farming the vineyards with equal generosity we, we have today. Ecco questa è la mia storia in fondo, il mio passaggio di aver trovato della terra di mio nonno, di poterla consegnare ai figli, e un, e un ideale percorso di generazione in generazione. So this is my story, is having taken the land of my grandfather and having passing on to my children and ideally generation after the other. So it's a story of joys, of emotions, of moments when you, when you felt important, of moments when you had to bend in e, e questo credo che sia la, la cosa più bella che io possa raccontare di me, cioè di, di aver amato veramente queste terre, di aver amato questo lavoro e di avere un senso, che questo, perché questo lavoro ha un senso molto importante per me. So this is the the most beautiful thing I can say about myself is to having loved this land, having loved this, uh, this job, and that there was always a purpose, a meaning in what I did. And the purpose is to make the world a better place, a more beautiful place. In some moments I felt as, as my work was as important as a sculptor or a painter or a musician. When a customer says, It was an emotion to open the bottle. That's, that's to me the most beautiful moment that pays back and gives sense to our work. I don't make wine for myself, but for the people who will drink it and to give joy to people. When a good bottle is open and shared, the world is a better place and a more smiling place. And not to forget, every bottle should make someone happy. Only then our work will have a purpose. You had a long engagement with the art and also the person of Costantino Ruggeri, the priest and artist, and I was wondering if you'd like to speak about him. La bellezza del nostro lavoro è negli incontri con le persone. The beauty of our work is in the meetings with other people. Um, alla fine di ogni anno il bilancio più importante del nostro lavoro è di ricordare quante belle persone si sono sedute attorno ai nostri tavoli ad assaggiare i vini. At the end of a year is about the people who got to taste our wines, so sit at a table with our wines. Uno di questi incontri è stato quello con Padre Costantino Ruggeri. One of these meetings was with Padre Costantino Ruggeri. 
Padre Costantino Ruggeri era un frate francescano. He was a Franciscan friar. He studied in, in the 1950s at the Brera Academy in Milan. He was living in poverty with, as a monk. He was uh, working with very poor materials. His early works were made with uh, paperboard and fabrics that were left over. With desire to have his works, his stained glass windows in our winery, we saw some of them. We met him in 1988. Since the beginning, it was a growing respect and friendship with him. He was extremely smart. He was a farmer in his heart and nature. He was born in, in the farming land of Adro in Franciacorta. And so he quickly understood our work and our desires. Around 1990, he created the first stained glass windows for us. Then we dared to ask him to also follow our winery works and helped us to create a very simple but functional cellar space. But above everything else, it was several meetings, encounters that would enrich us with a sense of beauty and we would drive back home full with this sense of beauty. At first we would go and, and see him and the children would keep painting for a whole week after we saw him, just the the charisma of these colors, the power of his colors, it would give them energy to express themselves. Ma in modo molto più pacato, ma non meno importante, anche Milene e Dio siamo stati contagiati da Padre Costantino per questo senso della bellezza. But in a much more subtle way, also Milene and myself got, got influenced by this sense of beauty that we would learn from him. Quando parlo del barolo del bricco delle viole della delicatezza, non posso non pensare che sia anche il frutto di una presenza di Padre Costantino. And when I think of the finesse of Bricco delle Viole, I can't but also believe it's, it's been through the friendship with Padre Costantino that we could realize and express this. Lui sicuramente ha sempre dipinto, ha sempre realizzato quadri, fatto vetrate, anche, ha realizzato anche delle chiese, non per quello che vedevano gli altri, ma per quello che sentiva lui. He always operated not just for what the others could see, but for his own feeling. There was always a sense of his own vision into what he would do. E questa è quella visione del bricco delle viole che noi dobbiamo portare avanti. So Padre Costantino wouldn't do things just to appeal people, but would do things to bring on a vision, a certain sensibility. And this is the same spirit we should keep farming Bricco delle Viole with. Sometimes the beauty of wine is in who you get to meet. Aldo Vaira of the Vara Winery in Barolo. Thank you very much for being here today. Grazie anche a voi. Thank you. Aldo Vaira of the GD Vara Winery in Vernier in Barolo. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe, on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. 
That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening. This episode could not have happened without the great assistance of the Vara family, and particularly Giuseppe Vara, who translated his father's words for this interview. Thank you.